1: No upfront charge for site build, after which
0: ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when cancelled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply.
1: And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You are listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of Talk Radio. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.
3: Slater Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thanks for being here. Today is uh it's going to be an exciting day. We're doing a bit of an experiment here on the Mike Slater Show this afternoon. So uh, in an hour, I'm going to be giving a speech at a men's conference at a church here in San Diego. Uh, the theme of the conference is courageous. And I'm going to be, uh, I guess, today's keynote speaker. Um, so there should be like four or five hundred guys in, in, in the hall here in the church And I got quite a message that I'm going to share here. So I'm going to get my Bible on, right? (laughs) It's at a church, a church men's conference. So uh, we're going to do a lot of scripture and and Jesus is going to be said a lot of times. So uh, safe space warning or what's the trigger, trigger warning, trigger warning in one hour. Jesus will be mentioned multiple, multiple times. So uh, the, the whole second hour of the show is just going to be my speech. Um, I will let you know that we have to take a commercial break at the bottom of the hour. So at, uh, well, whatever, whatever time it is for you. Um, but we'll only be gone for a couple of minutes and we'll get right back to the, uh, the speech in progress. So we'll see if that <laughs> technically works. I think it will. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really glad that we can broadcast that speech here for you. Uh, but first things first, let's get to the news of the day. Actually, before we even do that, I got a, got a little update here. Uh, I'm now a dad. Well, son of a gun. Look at that. Uh, Steph is is an amazing mom. She's doing really well. Uh, He was born last Thursday night. So he's uh, nine days old. Uh, Super cute. 100% healthy. A little bit jaundiced still. He kind of looks like Bart Bart Simpson. Like, like, Like a little bit, but he's getting better every day. Uh, good baby. I have zero context for this. So I don't, I don't know if he's a good baby. Seems like a good baby to me. Seems like an easy baby, but I don't know. Before I say that out loud too often, I'm kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Uh, haven't slept, which is cool. I guess I hear that's kind of how that's going to be for the next, uh, you know, 18 years or so. So we're just kind (laughs) of, but Steph, Steph's been a champ in every way she did it naturally she's amazing and and let me be honest i i I expected to be able to uh come back here on the radio with this epic monologue about the entire laboring experience I, i can't it's impossible it can't be described it can't be just like her pain can't be described being there and being a part of it just can't be described I'll never forget it, though, in all the good ways. I mean, so she didn't get an epidural. So an epidural basically just paralyzes the lower half of your body. So that's why whenever you see people give birth in the movies, they're always laying on their back. The woman's always laying on her back. But that's because the lower half of their body's paralyzed. But if you don't get an epidural, then you can move around, and you can be in different positions, and you can be on your your knees, you can be squatting, you can be standing up, you can do whatever. Pretty neat. So, Steph was uh, most comfortable on her side so she would feel a contraction coming along and i would be on, on, on like behind her right let me try to describe it. she'd be laying on her side i'd be behind her in like ready position i have i've have, like like a like a staggered stance right and i'd lock my elbow into the middle of the bed and then i'd have my my wrist cocked back and i had a right in the bottom small of her back and all the, whenever she had a contraction, all the pain went to the lower part of her back, and she was just an intense pain. So I would push as literally as hard as I could into her back and start to counteract the pressure. And we did that minute on, minute off for four hours, and like like a minute on, insane. But she did it, and it was awesome. The biggest shocker for me, and I just want to share this with. Uh, Guys who have not yet gone through this process because no one shared this with me, including the doctor or nurses, nurses or anyone. So I share this to, to to guys who are as ignorant as I was nine days ago. When when your wife gets to the pushing phase, how long do you think you push for? How, how many pushes do you think a woman? So you, you go through the whole the contractions, right? And then it's time to push, right? Like, think of all the movies, whatever. You push, right? I thought three pushes. Three pushes in this kid's out. Here. like Here it is. Game time. Let's go. She pushed like ten times, and I said to the doctor, "What are we doing? What's up? Like, what, what's what's wrong?" And the doctor's like, "Oh, not nothing. Not everything's great." I so, how long are we doing this? And the doctor said to me, it "Could be hours." <laughs> I said, "Whoa! I thought he was joking. I literally thought he was joking. Hours? What are you talking about?" So all the contractions are just to get the baby down to the part where then you push for more hours after that. Unbelievable. So that was like 10 pushes in. Now, the only good thing, sort of, is that, uh, oh, by the way, my son's name, uh, his name is Jack. Jack Slater. Jack Wilder Slater. That's his full name. Jack Wilder Slater. So he's destined to be uh, either an author or an action star. I don't know which one. Uh, his heart rate. Jack's heart rate was dropping really fast. So the doctor had to do uh, an episiotomy. (laughs) Cut. Ah! So she only pushed for about 15 minutes because otherwise he would have died. Seemed like forever. And the doctor said it could have been hours. Oh, my goodness. The whole thing was insane. Uh, Just tears. There was one moment couple hours before the contractions even really started and, and Jack's heart rate stopped for a couple minutes. That was super scary. We're just waiting in the, we're in the hospital, just kind of watching TV on. We were bored and a nurse runs in That runs in and then presses the button, like the alarm button. And she's like, Joan, come in here, get the doctor. We're like, what is going on? Five nurses rush in. The doctor happened to be there. They're flipping her from one side to the other. They put an oxygen mask on my wife. Super scary. So I guess she had a long contraction and, Jack's elbow or something was like pinched up against his umbilical cord and they, he, he like wasn't breathing for, or his heart rate wasn't going for like a minute or two and a half minutes or something like that. Holy cow. And they said if it went on for like another minute, they would have had to done a C-section right there. So that was, uh, that was awesome. It was super scary. I'm not, I'll just, I'll just be real here. Like the nurses and the doctors left and we just burst out crying. It was like, what was that? Steph's scripture for the the experience, and she kept telling it to herself, was John 16, 21. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when the baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. And that's pretty much exactly how it works. It is intense pain and anguish. And then that kid is thrown on your chest, her chest. And and it's just perfection. It's absolute joy. So the way it's—I'm uh, going to talk more about this in, in the speech sermon I'm going to give here in 45 minutes. Um, but the way it's—it's it's changed me so far, uh, relating to this job here. Um, it's really weird. I can't—I can't quite make sense of it yet. Um. So politics. And, and the things that I, I, we talk about, and let me, let me not even say that because I, we try to transcend goofiness as as much as possible. But, um, the things of this election, just politics in general, I was the politics in general, not important at all (laughs) compared to Jack. Not, not at all means nothing. Everything I thought was important, everything I thought was important in life means nothing. I don't mean less. I mean nothing. means nothing. But at the exact same time, Jack also makes everything even more important. It's weird. So on one hand, politics isn't important at all, but on the other hand, it's way more important because now it means something even more because now I'm creating a country and a world that my son is going to grow up in. So it means way more than ever before. I, and I don't know how it makes sense of that. Maybe you dads listening can describe that better than me. It's weird. I, 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 just, I don't want to talk politics at all. I just want to go home and be with him and my amazing wife. Who cares about stupid politics? But, but then at the same time, we have so much to fix in our country, and, and now it really affects him. Supreme Court vacancies. Who cares about the Supreme Court? I got a son at home. But no, the Supreme Court's super important. Because I got a son at home. The economy, we're going to talk about the economy. Who cares about the economy? I got a son at home. But at the same time, oh my gosh, the economy means way more than ever because of Jack. I, I, don't, I don't know how to make sense of it, but i am just tell you, nine days into it and uh, a couple hours of sleep uh, total, that's emotionally where, where I am. Steph has always said, because uh, my, my wife's a bit of a worrier, she said a while back, are we sure we want to bring someone into this crazy world? And and I always said, uh, and still believe, yes. Because what this crazy world needs is our son. And I, I just pray that he grows up to make an incredible difference in people's lives. I'll talk more about that at this uh, in this speech I'm giving in 45 minutes. Slater Radio on Twitter, Slater Radio on Twitter. Appreciate your prayers, kind words. They're awesome. But let's get back to business here. one 888 uh, We'll talk about the debate. Talk about um, – specifically, I want to talk about abortion, actually, which was brought up during the debate. Uh, maybe we can do – let's do it at the bottom of the hour. But coming up next, I want to talk about a, a depressing poll uh, about uh, ignorance of our past. And, and we need to do better, and we need to make sure that, uh, that we spread the truth. And I hope this will inspire you. We'll do that next. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
4: You're listening to Mike Slater. On The Blaze Radio Network.
1: No upfront
0: charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which
1: fees apply. This is Mike Slater.
3: Slater, Slater. Um, one, I don't want to be negative here. Um, one reason, uh, I'm going to try to be as nuanced <laughs> as possible. Uh... All right, this is what I wanted to say. One reason I don't have a lot of hope for the future, but that's not true because I do have hope for the future. I have to. I got a son who is a part of this future. Um... I think it's going to take great men and women to make a difference. I, I don't believe in, in the near future that the whole or or, or majority of society uh, will ever be righteous or right not right away, it's going to take great men and women to lead people properly, uh, at least in the beginning. And I think that's how our founding fathers were, right? They were great men and women who led people toward the light. Most colonists were either loyalists to the crown, or they didn't care one way or the other. But it was a relatively small group who were able to lead a relatively small minority to create the most righteous and just nation on earth. We need that again. But and I, I don't. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I don't have much hope for, for that happening to a majority of Americans. I mean, because really, the left has been incredibly successful at playing the long game, uh, and that is indoctrinating ignorance. I guess we didn't get a chance to talk about this yet, but uh, in one of the WikiLeaks emails, uh, I forget what his name was. He was the head of under Clinton. He was the head of the National Endowment for the Arts, I think. And he wrote John Podesta, Hillary's campaign manager, an email saying that for a long time. We've conspired, his words conspired to create an unaware, ignorant and unaware and compliant citizenry. And he goes on and he says, we're still successful with the unaware part, but people are becoming less compliant. And he's talking about the rise of of people supporting Donald Trump. So here he is talking about conspiring to create an unaware and compliant citizenry. They've been wildly successful, I think, on both accounts, but certainly on the unaware part. I'll give you an example. Uh, polled on 42% of millennials are unfamiliar with Chairman Mao, 42% unfamiliar, 33% unfamiliar with Lenin, 32% unfamiliar with Karl Marx. Now, you may be saying, well, hold on, Slater. These are min- minorities, right? 33% haven't heard of these people. Yeah, but keep in mind, these are people who are completely unaware of them, like have never heard of them. I'm not talking about people who maybe have heard of them before, but don't know much about them. Or heaven forbid, the people who think that they're great. Right? These these three communist leaders have accounted for tens of millions of deaths, and a third of millennials have never heard of them. Stalin alone—just people killed in his country. This doesn't include World War II uh, 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 fatalities. Just people that he has killed in his country that range from 10 million to 60 million. That is a giant range. Uh, latest numbers are somewhere, in let's call it 30 million. But the higher estimates have Stalin killing one in three of the people in his country. One in three. Mao is 40 million. Just a little context, Hitler killed 6 million Jews. 6 million Jews. Stalin, 60 million. Stalin killed 3 million uh, uh, kulaks. What's a kulak? Kulak were uh, farmers. So he had the state police go across the country and kill them, kill the farmers, and then confiscated the land and socialized it. Okay, three million of those. No one's ever heard of the Kulaks. That was just one group that he killed. I could go on forever. The point is, the numbers are enormous. And one third of millennials like, who? Who's I don't. uh." And and these are people we're talking about who I mean. This wasn't that long ago. There are people alive today who were alive when these people were in power. We're not asking millennials if they've ever heard of General Ron Min. Ron Min uh, was a, a general in uh, China who killed two hundred thousand people, and, and it was a it was a genocide. He killed two hundred thousand people uh, based on their ethnicity. They they killed people who had high bridged noses and bushy beards. Long story why, but this was in the year three hundred. Now, no one knows General Ron Min. Uh, I just happened to do weird studying on murderous dictators in college. So, so I remember John Ron Min, but no one was alive then. So, okay, but this, you know, 2000 years ago, but how can no one know Chairman Mao? Well, the left has purposefully done this. This is why a vast majority of millennials think that America invented slavery, invented it. Because there's no context given to slavery around the world, slavery around the world today, let alone anyone teaching the Bible, which if any child read the Bible, they would know slavery in it, so slavery clearly wasn't invented in America. Now check this out. This is the worst of all. One-third of millennials believe that George W. Bush is responsible for more people dying than Stalin. That doesn't even make any sense. doesn't even make any sense. George W. Bush didn't kill any people in America, now you can say, oh, but the soldiers, of Iraq and Afghanistan, war. Okay, I mean, listen, every death tragic. But what are we talking about? Like? Uh, well under 10,000 deaths. Well under 10,000? 10, 10, 10,000? 10, Stalin, ki- and I'm not even talking about World War II casualties. Stalin killed 30 million. Okay, what are not even close? And a third of millennials are like, oh yeah, George W. Bush. I mean, that is that is the most warped and twisted ignorance. In, 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 I, I, you can fathom. George Orwell said, he who controls the past controls the future. He who controls the past controls the future. And he who controls the present controls the past. That's why this guy from the National Endowment of the Arts was able to write to John Podesta. We have long conspired to keep people unaware or or to create an unaware and compliant citizenry. And there it is. You're seeing the fruits of that now. And naturally condemned to repeat it. Wow, amazing! One eight hundred or one eight eight nine hundred thirty three ninety three. I want to come back, talk a little bit about the debate. Um, it's stunning. I mean, the the, the coordinated, the coordination of the media is, is is wild, right? We watched the debate. We had a debate watching party with about sixty listeners. And no one thought, no one even flinched when Trump talked about the, you know, accepting accepting the results of the election or whatever. And we were doing a post-debate, uh, you know, focus group, and no one brought it up. Never even, like, didn't even cross our minds. And then we look at the newspapers that night and the next morning, and that's all the media was talking about, is how we won't accept the results of the election. And we're like, what? That's what you got out of that? And every media outlet, the coordination is unbelievable. But I want to come back and talk about the abortion aspect, because believe it or not, I thought Donald Trump gave one of the best pro-life arguments from a politician I've ever heard. We'll break it down next. 1-888-900-3393. And my speech at this men's conference will begin in 30 minutes. We're going to broadcast it live right here on the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
1: This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio.
4: On the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to Mike Slater. Hey right, Slater, Chris Slater, appreciate you being here. Just a quick
3: programming note: coming up here in uh, 30 minutes exactly, I'm going to be giving a speech here at a uh, men's conference at a uh, local church, Foothills Christian Church, here in San Diego, and uh, I'll be the, the afternoon keynote speaker. So I'll be—I don't know—four, five hundred people here in the uh, the main sanctuary, and I'll be speaking for—I uh, don't know—it's got to be shorter than 50 minutes for the time sake here, but uh, I, th- I think it will be that good as, I don't know if I can talk straight for 50 minutes with, without a commercial break. Um, so we're going to take that live here, which would be pretty cool. So I'm just going to leave here in 30 minutes. I'm going to walk downstairs and uh, do the speech and then come back up and we'll do the last hour here together. But uh, so, so trigger warning, you will hear the word Jesus in the next hour. Uh, you, there will be quotes from a, a book called The Bible. Uh, if that upsets you, I don't care, but I, I just want you to not listen because I don't want to hear uh, your criticism about it. There's your warning. So uh, I thought Donald Trump gave one of the best pro-life arguments I've ever heard a, a politician give at a debate. Uh, most people, even Mike Pence, who did a fantastic job in his debate and who is super pro-life, they, they do, this, do this dance, right? They They talk about... Difficult and, and oh, the health of the mother, and oh, blah, 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 blah. And it's all true, and that's all fine. But I've, I've never heard a politician describe what an abortion really is. And it's important that someone does that because most people don't know what it is. And Trump uh, did better than anyone. He still wasn't all the way there, but it was better than most. But certainly, and most people don't even try. Now, when the American people think about an abortion, they, they don't think about what it really is. Instead, we've been trained to think compassion and, and, and love and safety. No one talks about what really happens. No one talks about how a doctor expands the cervix enough to stick a vacuum tube into the womb and suck out the ambiotic fluid. Now, if the baby's small enough, then the baby will come out through the tube. But if the baby's too big for the tube... Then they use what's called a sofa clamp. It's 13 inches long. Think tongs, right? But at the end, it's about two inches long with sharp ridges, and they clamp together. And the doctor sticks the clamp inside the woman and grabs a leg and pulls it off of the baby and out of the woman. And they do that for all the legs and the arms and the body. And then the skull, it's too big to come through the cervix, so they crush it using the sofa clamp. Um, And the doctor knows that the skull's been crushed when a white substance comes out of the woman. That's the baby's brain's. And then he uses a curette to scrape the uterus for any remaining tissue. And then the doctor reassembles the the baby back together on a table to make sure that there are two arms and two legs and all the pieces and the head and all that, just to make sure that all the baby is out of the womb. That is an abortion. Cool. Awesome. No one thinks about that. That's what it is. Uh, Here's what Trump said about it the other night. Clip 1150.
5: Well, I think of. it's terrible uh, if you go with what Hillary is saying in the ninth month, you can take the baby and rip the baby out of the womb of the mother just prior to the birth of the baby. Now, you can say that that's okay, and Hillary can say that that's okay, but it's not okay with me, because based on what she's saying and based on where she's going and where she's been, you can take the baby and rip the baby out of the womb in the ninth month on the final day and that's not acceptable
2: well that is not what happens in these cases and using that kind of uh, scare rhetoric is just terribly unfortunate you should meet with some of the women that I've met with women I've known over the course of my life this is one of the worst possible choices that any woman and her family has to make And I do not believe the government should be making it. You know, I've had the great honor of traveling across the world on behalf of our country. I've been to countries where governments either forced women to have abortions like they used to do in China or forced women to bear children like they used to do in Romania. And I can tell you the government has no business in the decisions that women make with their families in accordance with their faith, with medical advice, and I will stand up for that right.
3: What faith says having an abortion is okay. There's no faith. That doesn't exist. Um, there was one other point that I was going to make. Oh, yeah. I love when, when Hillary uh, does this whole, like, I, w- I will not have the United States government tell a woman. right. So, uh, like, all of a sudden they're concerned about the United States government forcing people uh, to do or not do something. Um, but I, I love the word scare rhetoric. Oh, that's just scare rhetoric. No, oh, that's reality. And. People like her have a – well, no, she doesn't have a cloud of reality. She knows what it really is. But most people have a cloud of reality of what abortion really is. I, w- I want to play just the first 30 seconds of what Hillary said before Donald Trump's response right there. And and as you listen to this, listen to the euphemisms that she uses to cloud what what's really going on. 1151.
2: All right to a woman to make the most intimate, most difficult in many cases decisions about her health care that uh, one can imagine. And in this case, it's not only about Roe v. Wade. It is about what's happening right now in America. So many states are putting very stringent regulations on women that block them from exercising that choice to the extent that they are defunding Planned Parenthood, which of course, provides all kinds of cancer screenings and other benefits for uh, women in our country.
3: Okay, let's break some of this nonsense down. So first of all, uh, one of the regulations that the left hates is a regulation that certain states have have tried to pass that would require a woman to get an ultrasound before she gets an abortion. Now, the left hates this. Why do you think? Now, Now, we can talk about whether or not this is a good regulation or not, But either way, I think it's important to realize why the left doesn't want this to happen. Now, you could almost make like a libertarian argument about this. The government shouldn't force someone to have a whatever. That's not what the left's doing. The other day, I had the honor of emceeing an event for a pro-life pregnancy center here in San Diego. Uh, Pro-life pregnancy centers are the opposites of Planned Parenthood. And the main speaker was Abby Johnson. Abby Johnson uh, ran one of the largest Planned Parenthood's in the country. It's in Houston. It's called Planned Parenthood Gulf Coast. It's a giant seven-story office building where they perform abortions. She ran it uh, for like six, seven years, eight years maybe. And one year she was employee of the of the month for for all Planned Parenthood's across the country. So one afternoon she was talking to a doctor who performs abortions. Um, but he did it a little different. He uses abortions, or he performs abortions using a sonogram, a sonogram assisted abortion. And he says that way, the doctor, when I stick the sofa clamp into the woman or a knife or whatever, I can see exactly what I'm doing. All right? I, I can see exactly where I'm killing the baby and, and how, where all the parts of the baby are as I'm, as I'm taking them out of the woman. And he says this is better because it's safer for women. So Abby goes back to her clinic, her Planned Parenthood, and says, hey, everyone, if, if this is what's safer for women, why don't we use sonogram-assisted abortions? Do you want know what they told her? They said, well, we don't do that because even though it's safer for women, right? And that's what she, she, she ran the the Planned Parenthood. She, she bought the lie that we're here for the safety of women. This is safer for women. Why don't we do it? And they said, well, we don't do it because using a sonogram when you're doing an abortion takes three minutes longer. And we got to get the woman on the table, kill the baby, and get her up in five minutes or less. Why? Less time to change your mind. Less time to change your mind. And if you have a sonogram there, there might be a chance that she sees the baby's heartbeat. We can't have that. Also, we got to keep things moving. Time is money. And an extra three minutes over the course of the day per every abortion means we can't fit as many abortions in. So we, can't, we don't have time for it. So that's one of the regulations that Hillary's talking about. Second thing, Planned Parenthood, she talked about uh, cancer screenings. Uh, Total lie. She knows it. Cecile Richards, the head of Planned Parenthood, admitted in a congressional hearing a couple months back that Planned Parenthood has never once provided a monogram for a woman. Excuse me, mammogram. Never once a mammogram. Ever. One time. It's never happened. Never. Ever. Zero. They do not perform mammograms at all. So this cancer screening nonsense is a lie. Final point. There's 665 Planned Parenthoods across the country. 665. Thirteen thousand community health clinics that provide everything Planned Parenthood does and more without abortions. So the whole nonsense that women uh, wouldn't be able to get health care without Planned Parenthood is, is like what? do that, That's that's crazy, absolutely crazy. That's like saying I, mean, I don't know how many grocery stores you have near you, how many grocery store brands in San Diego. We have a ton. So it'd be like, so I don't know. Pick your random. Pick your grocery store. It'd be like if it depends where you live. So I can't really use this example. But let's say Kroger, right? Let's say the Kroger goes out of business. That's like saying everyone's going to starve to death, right? If we get rid of Planned Parenthood, women won't have any health care anymore. And if we get rid of Kroger, everyone's going to starve. Like, No, we'll go to a different grocery store. Okay, if we get rid of Planned Parenthood, uh, women will go to one of the other community health clinics, which there are more of, and they do more things. So they're better. So it'd be fine. They wouldn't get abortions, but. Amazing the euphemisms that are used there the lies to go back to the the last segment the second segment was that last yeah last segment um, the left has conspired this is their words conspired to create an unaware and compliant citizenry most people are completely unaware about what abortions really are and are completely compliant in the evil of allowing them to continue one eight 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 nine one eight eight nine hundred thirty three 93. Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show.
4: The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
1: Mike Slater.
4: On the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Donald has said he's in favor of defunding Planned Parenthood. He even supported shutting the government down to defund Planned Parenthood. I will defend Planned Parenthood. I will defend Roe v. Wade, and I will defend women's rights to make their own health care decisions. And we have come too far to have that turn back now. And indeed, he said women should be punished, that there should be some form of punishment uh, for women uh, who obtain abortions, and I could just not be more opposed to that kind of thinking.
6: I'm going to give you a chance to respond, but I want to ask you, Secretary Clinton, I want to explore how far you believe the right to abortion goes. You have been quoted as saying that the fetus has no constitutional rights. You also voted against a ban on late-term partial birth abortions. Why?
2: Because Roe v. Wade very clearly sets out that there can be regulations on abortion so long as the life and the health of the mother are taken into account and when i voted as a senator i did not think that that was the case the kinds of cases that fall at the end of pregnancy are often the most heartbreaking painful decisions for families to make i have met with women who had toward the end of their pregnancy get the worst news one could get, that their health is in jeopardy if they continue to carry to term or that something terrible has happened or just been discovered uh, about the pregnancy. I do not think the United States government should be stepping in and making those most personal of decisions. So you can regulate if you are doing so with the life and the health of the mother taken into account. Mike
3: Slater. Let's chat about that. So uh, it's super sad where we are. Uh, life and health of the mother. There's, there's almost zero circumstances where the, the health of the mother, excuse me, the life of the mother is at risk in a pregnancy, where killing the baby would save the mother's life. Are you with me? Like, of course, there's circumstances where a woman is life's in danger during a pregnancy, but almost no scenario where killing the baby would then save the woman's life. Right. No, it doesn't happen. And if that super 0.0000001% chance exists, then we can have an honest conversation about it. We can, we can chat about it. I still wouldn't, right? We, 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 that, that, that's a conversation worth having. But that's not what's going on here. And to, to describe, as the left always does, that that's what abortions are, like that's the vast majority of abortions, a total lie. Don't be deceived by that. Now, also notice she says life and health of the mother. That's the newest thing, too. It's not, it's not just life. It's life and health. Now, what is health? Well, that includes mental health which is as broad as possible. We talked to a former abortion doctor a couple of years ago and uh, he asked a girl why she was getting an abortion and she said because she wanted to look good in her prom dress. That is health of the mother because mental health is included in that umbrella. The vast, vast majority of abortions are not because of health issues. And, and I just want to echo Rand Paul and I've done this a bunch of times. Um, he was asked in the beginning of the primary what he thinks about life and health of the mother, mother exemptions, right? Which the left always wants to talk about. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'll answer that question. But before I do, you go ask Debbie Wasserman Schultz if she thinks it's okay to kill a seven-pound baby in the womb. Then you get back to me and I'll answer your question. And the media did, and they asked her. And she said it's okay to kill a seven-pound baby in the womb. Because that's what happens way more often than... uh than life and health of a mother are nonsense. It's also interesting how she's she's so concerned about ripping families apart when it comes to immigration. right? But literally ripping babies apart in the womb. Scare rhetoric. Hmm. And I threw a lot at you there. If nothing else, just walk away with this one thing. Don't let anyone tell you or let anyone tell anyone else that abortion is health care as hillary just described it abortion is not health care all right coming up i'm gonna walk down these stairs and i'm gonna give a uh, a speech here and we're gonna broadcast it live i'm at the uh, foothills christian church in san diego there's about four or five hundred men here for a men's conference i'm giving the afternoon keynote uh so trigger warning the word jesus will come up here in, in the next hour Uh, But I hope you can join us. It's going to be a lot of fun here for this uh, speech. And then we'll be back up here for the last hour. Mike Slater Show
4: with the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater.
1: Part of the next generation of talk radio. On
4: the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. And, um, and there's a lot of ways to do that here at this church, and so I encourage you guys, take what the Lord's doing in your life, take a step of faith, get involved in some areas, and that's really important. All right, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I can present to you, Mike Slater. Give it up. Nice
3: stalling, brother. Good work. (laughs) Awesome. How are you guys? America's the greatest country in the world. Beautiful. That was awesome. That was like a war cry. Hey, everyone, say hi to the Blaze Radio. Blaze Radio, Foothills Christian Church. Welcome to their men's retreat. I'm so glad... You guys invited me to be here. This is awesome. Um, I got to be honest, though, and I don't know what Mike was saying about my life recently, uh, but I would love a nap. I would love a nap. Uh, Last time I spoke at Foothills Church, it was about three years ago, and it just happened to be about two, three weeks after my dad passed away. He died of a stroke suddenly. Um, So it was a great chance to talk about my dad and lessons I learned from my dad, and Pastor Don called me a few weeks ago and told me about this conference and asked if I could speak. And I said, I'd love to, but I got to put an asterisk on my appearance because my wife is due with our first baby two weeks before today. So yes, I'll do it, but I don't know what's going to happen. So uh, you need to have a backup just in case. Uh, God is good. My son was born nine days ago. Do we have the little guy? I think we got a picture of the little guy here. There he is. He was, he's 12 hours old right there. I'm not kidding. Look at him. His name's uh, Jack. Jack Slater. That's what I'm talking about. All right, yeah. Jack Wilder Slater. So he's destined to either be uh, an author or an action hero. I don't know which... I'm hoping action here. So, yeah, I haven't slept in nine days. Amen. So, that's why I would love a nap. Um, <laughs> just how out of it I am. I, I, it's trash day on Tuesdays, right? So, I, I went the other day to bring the trash out to the, the curb, and I got to the curb, and there was a guy there, and he said, um, What are you doing? I said, I'm bringing the trash out. He said, Trash day's uh, uh, Tuesdays. And I said, Yeah. He goes, It's Thursday. So, I. I did this very stinky walk of shame, taking my trash back to the garage. (laughs) So we have a ton of trash piled up in our garage, but I think that's just the way it goes. Hopefully I'll remember when this Tuesday comes around. Uh, Anyway, the point is the timing of this is all too amazing, right? Last time I was here, my dad passed away, and now here I am a brand new dad. Um, Everything's been awesome about fatherhood so far, Um, although I got to admit, who here is a dad? Alright, everyone. So, 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 like, I'm a little, like, no, no joke. Like, I feel unworthy to be here. Uh, I feel like I'm a 16 year old who just got his driver's license, lecturing a bunch of NASCAR drivers on, like, (laughs) like how to be safe on the roads. It's like, what am I doing here? This is this is absurd for me to be up here in front. But um, it's been okay so far. Uh, The best. Well, let me say. So, people have been giving me a lot of advice, and I just want to say one thing. There's one thing that no one told me at all. And I got a ton of advice, but no one told me this. And I'm a little mad. Like out of all the new dads or all the dads who knew I was going to be a new dad, even all the women who knew I was going to be a new dad, no one told me about the umbilical cord. (laughs) That is the grossest, (laughs) nastiest thing. It stanks. It's gooey. It dry, it's like dried up flesh that falls off. And now I'm telling guys, they're like, oh yeah, no big deal. Like, what are you talking about? It's nasty. So no one told me about that. And I'm really mad at everyone. Um, but that's cool, I guess. Or maybe, I don't know, now that I'm saying this, maybe that's like part of dad code is to not tell new, that's like the initiation. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't tell the new dad about the umbilical cord. So I, I guess I won't tell the new dad that. Um, I want to start off here. I'm, I'm, before I get to my main party, I'm just super grateful To be here, and I'm grateful that you guys are here, Uh, you don't need to be, and the world tells you not to be. I was asking someone how to be a good parent the other day, and he said, uh, you're asking, you'll be fine. Uh, You're here, so you're wondering, you're searching. Jeremiah said, don't boast in anything, boast, though, in that you know me, you know God. And that's why you guys are here, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for men that I can lock shields with. Because we're all going on different adventures. My favorite grateful story... Real quick, is this Mike's phone? Yeah. Did you leave it here? Yeah. I'm sorry, brother. I don't want you to be without. Oh, this is cool to have an earpiece, mic. I'm not used to that. And usually I'm tethered to the stage. Um, my favorite grateful story is, is Bud. Uh, anyone here listening to the show has ever heard Bud before? World War II veteran Bud? Does it ring a bell? It'll ring a bell when I get going here. So this was awesome. This was like two years ago. Someone emailed me and said, Slater, I just met my neighbor... He is baller. He's a World War II veteran who's just sharp as a tack, and you got to talk to him on the air. So we did. We called up Bud, and he came on. He was awesome. and He told this story about his parents and how they traveled from the Ukraine all the way to Amsterdam, got on the back of a shipping container, made it to New York City, you know, did the whole immigrant story thing, and and made it to live a, a middle class life, um, just outside New York City, and middle class like by their standard, but poor by our standards today. And Bud tells the story of one afternoon he was on the front porch with his dad and he said something, he doesn't remember what, but it was something that showed a little bit of ungratefulness about America or about their station in life or whatever. And his dad grabbed him from the back of the neck, grabbed him from the neck, picked him up, carried him to the middle of the street in front of his house and said, look at this street. These streets are paved with gold. He says, we have a business. Your uncles have jobs. We have food on the table. We can go to church whenever we want. In America, the streets are paved with gold. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that in America, we can worship him freely. For now, at least. So let's enjoy while we can. One quick more story. One more story about Bud. I asked Bud for a war story. And he's like, all right. So he was in World War II, a tank commander. So he's telling the story about how he was uh, in, in Germany or Italy, and he was in the tank, and they were riding along. And they came across a frozen turkey, a cooked, a cooked frozen turkey was in the middle of the way. And it was daytime. And they said, well, we're not going to go out and get it now because uh, there could be a sniper. So they waited until it got dark. They got out, and they got the cooked turkey that was frozen. They brought it inside the tank. And they couldn't eat it because it was frozen. So they took their knives, and they used it as chisels. And they chiseled off frozen pieces of turkey, and threw them in the back of their mouths until they melted and then chewed and swallowed. And I said, Bud, that's not a war story. <laughs> he said, No, but it was the greatest meal of my life. That's a man who's grateful. It's not an epic battle story, but war rarely has those. These are Bud's words. He said, War is full of men, not always scared, usually terrified. Not always fully prepared, mostly having no idea what to do or how to do it. And not old and battle tested, but 17. Bud was 17 when he was a tank commander in World War II. Wow. But full of men knowing exactly why we're doing it. And it's that sense of purpose that I value so much, and that's what I want more of. And that's what you guys are doing here now, right? We're in a war, we are in a spiritual war. Amen? Amen? C.S. Lewis said, The world is enemy-occupied territory. And we are taking part in a great campaign of sabotage. I love that. And I will have time to go into this now, but you guys know the story of uh, 2 Kings 2, when Elisha uh, sa- uh, says to his, uh, about his servant, he says, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the clouds just open up, and he see, the servant just sees horses and chariots of fire and angels that are protecting them. That is the spiritual war that is going on around us, and we are in desperate need of courageous men. And just a quick programming note to everyone listening on The Blaze, the theme of this weekend is courageous. And also, I'm sorry, did I do a trigger warning for everyone on the radio? I don't think I did. Trigger warning for everyone on the radio. uh, You're going to hear in the next few minutes the word Jesus, and I'm going to quote from a book called The Bible. So I know you guys are cool with that. You're expecting that, but some people are tuning into the radio, not necessarily expecting that. So, uh, I just want to get everyone straight about what's going to happen here in the next few minutes. Yeah. And I don't apologize. No one apologizes. All right. So I asked, uh, pastor Don what what I should talk about. And he wrote down what I want to teach my son about courage in a crazy culture. Perfect. So every great speech has three points. I have four, bear with me, sorry. (laughs) Radio guy, it's hard to get me off the stage. So I met someone the other day, I asked for his advice, as I always did, as I always do, and again, he didn't mention anything about the umbilical cord, but he said, pray for your son's salvation every day. Uh, And I said, why, there's a story behind that, sir. And he said, yes, Uh, he said, I was a Christian, and I had my daughter, and I assumed that it would rub off on her. And one day she was three years old and he asked her what she thinks about Jesus and uh, she said, Daddy, I don't care about Jesus. I love Mickey Mouse. (laughs) And he said, this is a problem. He said, I was never intentional enough from day one. I needed to be more intentional. I think that's great advice. So in the name of being intentional, I have three prayers that I've been praying for my son uh, and I will do them in order of descending importance. So my first prayer for Jack is to love Jesus. And it's not only to love Jesus, uh, yes, but it's to love truth. We live in a post-truth society. Everything's subjective, everything's relative. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. Culture's messed up, gentlemen. We all know that, right? Do we even have to spend the next... 50 minutes talking about this. We can talk about gay marriage. Um, I don't think marriage is going to be an institution much longer. Forget about men going into women's bathrooms. The very concept of gender is under attack. There's a movement going on now to get doctors to not assign gender at birth because when a doctor says whether you're a man or a woman, or a boy or a girl, that's just their opinion. I'm not kidding. There's a movement to to wait until the child can decide what gender they are for themselves. I'm being serious. That's legit. NBC News did a YouTube video, a five minute YouTube news video about how uh, doctors shouldn't assign gender at birth anymore. There's legit hospitals around the country who are giving puberty blocking hormones to kids that that prevent puberty so that it's easier to have sex change operations when they get older. And this is all based on little kids saying that they're a boy or they feel like a girl, or whatever, vice versa, right? This is real stuff going on. We could spend the entire time talking about a crazy culture. Everyone gets a trophy. No such thing as winning. Everyone is racist or a victim or a bigot, a baby in the womb. It's not really a baby if you don't want it. Then it's just tissue. And by the way, real quick on abortion, uh, I could talk about this all day too, but the, one of the great lies in our culture today about abortion is that it's a woman's issue. Seventy-five percent of the women who get an abortion say that they were pressured by a man. Do not let anyone silence you or shut you up by saying it's a woman's issue. It is a man's issue, and we need more men, and we can cut abortions down a ton. Colleges, colleges have safe spaces. Have you guys heard about safe spaces? These are rooms where 18 to 22-year-old adults go and there are kittens and coloring books and bubbles and they go there when they want to avoid hearing an opinion different than their own. I'm not even kidding. Talk about courage, right? Pathetic. All right, you get it. You know it. I don't need to go anymore. So what's the answer to all this? Jesus? So we have a a fetish for diversity in our country. It's weird. Um, We always are told to focus on what makes us different and we focus on what makes us different, then we focus on what divides us. We got to focus instead on the things that we have in common. And no matter what your skin color is, what your background, your income, your political persuasion, whatever, we have Jesus in common, the men in this room we do. And we got to get back to that in America, because in the end, that's all that matters. All right, who, uh, who here, I got to watch my time. I didn't think I'd go long enough, and I'm already running out of time. Uh, Who here has been following the election? Show of hands. Who here is ready for it to be over? All right, amen. Uh, Me too. You burnt out? Me too. Uh, Here's why, and I realized this just the other day. It's all junk food. It's a bunch of junk food, and I've been eating junk food for a year and a half doing this politics stuff, and it feels unfulfilling. Now, it's important, right? Don't get me wrong. It's important, but it's so much junk food. I have to focus on things and consume more things that are eternal. Because those are the only things that are fulfilling. And Jesus is truth and eternal. And I guarantee you, if you ever feel unfulfilled and burn out, if you just focus on him again, then you will feel feel fulfilled again. One of my favorite lines, Paul, in Ephesians, he says, when we reach our unity, or says we only reach unity, excuse me, when we reach unity in our knowledge of Jesus... Then we won't be tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. There is so much deceitful scheming going on. I want my son to love Jesus so that he won't be deceived. Point number two: I, I pray and, and I, I pray that my uh, my son Jack loves his mom. One of the best pieces of advice I've ever received is that the best gift you can give your children is a loving marriage. Love your wife and adore her, they told me. You guys know Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. What did Christ do for the church? I love this line too. Cleansing her by the washing with water, water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. What a commission. Wow. What a command. Jack needs to see that every day because how I love my wife is how Jack is going to treat women, right? And Romans 12 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. There is no better way to not conform to the pattern of the world than to respect women. Pornography, lust, objectification, like the world, this culture is dripping in these, these evil things. So to respect women is the ultimate in manliness. Who here has seen the movie Gladiator? Obviously. If you haven't, you can just step out. We don't, <laughs> we don't have any need for you here. I'm sorry. Um, wasn't that a prerequisite for attending the Courage conference? I think. So my favorite scene of the whole movie is when you got Maximus and, and, uh, and, and Marcus, the, the emperor, right? They're talking. Actually, my favorite, my favorite part of this scene is not what I wanted to mention, but my favorite part is when uh, Marcus says, Maximus, I want you to become the emperor of Rome when I die. And Maximus says, with all my heart, no. And Marcus says, that is exactly why it must be you. I love that because that's like the, the, the reluctant leader story, which I love. So anyway, that's not the part I wanted to mention. Just before that, literally the lines before that, Russell Crowe, Maximus, goes into describing his home and he's talking about how the sun shines into the kitchen and he talks about the different t- types of trees on his property and he talks about how the soil is black like his wife's hair and there's wild horses that play with his son. And Marcus asks Maximus how many days it's been since he's been home. He says, two years, 264 days in this morning. But who's counting, right? This is a man, the manliest of men, right? Who loves his wife and his family. And that's the only place he really wants to be. Building his home. And Marcus says, I envy you, Maximus. It is a good home. Worth fighting for? And he nods his head, yes. Is your home worth fighting for? Is what you're building at home worth fighting for? Is your marriage something glorious, spectacular, something that glorifies God? That's the meaning of marriage, right? That's the purpose of marriage, right? It's an institution to glorify God. That's why I don't think it will exist much longer because most people don't realize that, so why do it anymore? Tax purposes really is all there is anymore. I want to build my family on a rock and it starts with loving Him And then loving my wife fully, that builds up Jack. And I just, I I pray that Jack knows how to treat women, not just holding doors and pulling out chairs, but deeply loving and protecting and celebrating the love of his life and washing her hair with the word. Mm. And I look forward to his wedding day. Every dad tells me it'll be here before you know it. Is that right, dads? Who have been there? So number two, I want him to love his wife, or his mom. Um, Number three, I want him to love people. Love and serve people. uh, Philippians 2.3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Uh, I want to share a story of Tom Hudner and Jesse Brown, one of my favorite stories. These two men came from totally opposite backgrounds, could not be more opposite. Jesse was born in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, 1926, son of a sharecropper, lived in a shack, dirt floor, went out and farmed every single day, just like his dad, just like his dad before that, and just like everyone he ever knew. But he grew up, or when he grew up, all he wanted to do was become a fighter pilot. And people laughed at him. They said, Jesse, they won't even let black people in an airplane let alone fly an airplane for the Navy. Jesse Brown became the first black fighter pilot in Navy history. Tom Hunter. Tom's grandfather and dad owned a bunch of grocery stores in in the Northeast somewhere. Super wealthy family, made it through the Depression, no problem. Country club folks, went to Harvard. The plan was for Tom to go to Harvard just like his dad and grandpa and take over the family business and live a comfortable life. Instead... Against his family wishes, he joined the Navy and became a fighter pilot. These two men, totally opposite backgrounds, became best of friends. Fast forward to the Korean War. You got six pilots in the air. Jesse and Tom are two of them. Jesse's plane is hit, crashes into the side of a mountain in what's in uh, North Korea today. A violent crash. Jesse wakes up, takes off his helmet and gloves, opens up the canopy, try to get out, but realizes he's stuck. From the waist down. He then accidentally drops his helmet out of the plane, so he loses all communication. The other pilots are flying overhead and they see Jesse waving. But Tom sees not just his friend, he sees Jesse's wife and two year old daughter. So Tom decided to do something that no one has ever done before and no one has ever done since he crash-landed a perfectly good airplane right next to his friend to try and save his life. Value others above yourselves, right? So Tom crashed. He escaped his plane, ran over to Jesse, couldn't pull him out. He found an axe, started hacking at the airplane, but it was frozen solid. Didn't make any progress there at all. A helicopter finally came and landed. It was getting dark, and the pilot said, Tom, you have two choices. You can either stay here and die with Jesse or you can come with me right now and get out of here. But I have to leave right now. Hardest decision in Tom's life, but before he could say anything, Jesse said, Tom, tell my wife I love her. There's a lot more to the story after that. There's a book called Devotion. Recommend you reading it. It's great. It's about these two men and their families. Why do I share this story? Uh, You... Me, you were Jesse. You crash landed. You were stranded. Stuck, freezing, desperate, dying. Jesus crash landed to save you. First of all, let's go back one second. Amen. Were, were you Jesse? Amen. Ever Were you ever Jesse in your life? Jesus crash landed to save me. That's Jesus dying on the cross. Where Tom couldn't save Jesse, Jesus can. Jesus did. He does every day. That is the perfect, sinless Jesus nailed to the cross, taking on the sin of the world to the point where God leaves him and Jesus cries out, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the physical.
1: Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
3: So if I pray that my son lives a life of ease and comfort and luxury, he'll never have a need to be courageous. So what are we doing here? What's the point? Just go home, watch football. We want, we all want to be courageous, right? Doesn't every man want to be courageous? So we have to suffer then. But the world says to avoid suffering, and everything in the world is made to avoid suffering, and we wonder why we have a lack of courage because we've avoided the thing you need in order to be courageous. If there's no suffering, there's no need for masculinity. Now, full disclosure on, on where this is coming from. So I'm on diaper duty, right? My wife's doing the breastfeeding, I'm on diaper duty. Now, Jack doesn't cry much, right? But he squalls when we change his diaper. And mom realized that it's because his wet wipes are too cold. So she went to Target and bought this this box that keeps the wet wipes warm so that when dad wipes his bottom, he doesn't get too cold. That's what I call a first world problem. So while I preach here about how I want my son to live a life of suffering, I will admit that I am the same person who uses slightly warmed wet naps on my son's bum to make him comfortable. I am ashamed. Seriously, every time I've used them, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, son. It's going to be a cruel, cruel world. You will not always have slightly warmed wet naps for your bum. Okay, so now we're all, so uh, it's all in the open now, right? huge hypocrite. I want to play this scene here from the movie 300. Uh, When you watch this, watch the wolf. The wolf is the devil. Uh, The wolf is everything that the devil has done to confuse and twist and deceive our culture and our boys and us. And I know all of us want to raise our sons to be a Leonidas.
7: constantly tested, tossed into the wild, left to pit his wits and will against nature's fury. It was his initiation, his time in the wild, for he would return to his people as Spartan, or not at all. The wolf begins to circle the boy. Claws of black steel. Fur as dark night. Eyes glowing red. Jewels from the pit of hell itself. The giant wolf sniffing. Savoring the scent of the meal to come. grips him, only a heightened sense of things the cold air in his lungs windswept pines moving against the coming night
3: send my son wolves and give him the tools to to kill them. Seneca in the year 50, he said no prize fighter can go with high spirits into the battle if he's never been beaten black and blue. The only contestant that can confidently enter the battle is the man who has seen his own blood, who has felt his teeth rattle beneath his opponent's fists, who has been tripped and felt the full force of his opponent's charge, who has been downed in body, but not in spirit. One who, as often as he falls, rises again with greater defiance than ever. So then, fortune has often in the past gotten the upper hand of you, and yet you have not surrendered, but have leaped up and stood your guard still more eagerly. For manliness gains much strength by being challenged. Douglas MacArthur, Supreme Allied Commander during World War II, he was in Australia when his son Arthur was born. Yes, Arthur MacArthur he prayed for his son. He said, build me a son, O Lord, who will be strong enough to know when he is weak, humility, and brave enough to face himself when he is afraid, like you just saw there with Leonidas. One who will be proud and unbending in honest defeat and humble and gentle in victory. Build me a son whose wishes will not take the place of deeds, a man of action, a man who will know you And that to know himself is the foundation stone of knowledge. And this is the key. Lead him, I pray, not in the path of ease and comfort, but under the stress and spur of difficulties and challenge. Here, let him learn to stand up in the storm. Here, let him learn compassion for those who fail. Teddy Roosevelt was a baller. He led the Rough Riders. He read the Iliad and the Odyssey and the original Greek twice in his life, once when he was a cattle rancher in the Badlands and once when he was president of the United States of America. And he spoke often about the over-softness of men. He wrote about how we need to live the strenuous life. And he said this, he said, If we read the Bible properly, we read a book which teaches us to go forth and do the work of the Lord, that kind of work can be done only by the man who is neither a weakling nor a coward by the man who is in the fullest sense of the word, a true Christian. We plead, we pray for a closer and wider and deeper study of the Bible so that our people in America may be in fact, as well as in theory, doers of the word and not only hearers. So think about this here. Um, I'm just going to be real. All men want to feel valued, right? Don't we want to be, we want to be accepted and valued, right? Ever since kickball teams were picked on the playground, (laughs) right? And you wanted to get picked first and you sure didn't want to get picked last. You've always wanted to be chosen and selected and and valued. Wouldn't it be awesome if Teddy Roosevelt said, you, what's your name, sir, in the blue shirt? Bill? Bill? We'll do both of you. Bill. You, Bill. Are a true Christian man. I want you to join the Rough Riders. Yeah! <gasps> yeah. I don't even know what we're gonna do, but that sounds awesome. <laughs> Sir, your name? John. John. Wouldn't it be awesome if a Navy SEAL came up to you and said, John, we need you for this mission? You are the man, you are uniquely qualified for this mission. Your country needs you and your, these fellow Navy SEALs, we need you. All right. What do you need? Let's do it. What if Maximus came? What if William Wallace came to you and said, I need you. Your, your name, sir? Gary. Gary, I need you to join my ranks. Oorah! We can't win without you. Amen. <laughs> Think about how that makes you feel in your gut right? Fired up. I'm chosen. I'm wanted. I'm valued. Forget about those men. Not to break it to you, but the story of William Wallace is actually kind of made up. I talked to the guy who wrote the book, the the screenplay. It's pretty much made up. Okay. Fake fantasy, not real. Forget it. God has chosen you. How come we don't get the same calling in our stomach as the one, like if a Navy SEAL said, we need you for this mission. Isn't that weird? Is that just me? Right, Navy Seal says, "We need you right now for this mission. We're gonna win. We can't win this battle without you." I'm feeling pretty good about myself. God has called you for the exact same thing, but infinitely more important, eternally important. I don't know. Sometimes I don't get the same, I don't know, same passion about it. If William Wallace, Teddy Roosevelt, Jesus, MacArthur, whoever, all, Douglas MacArthur and Jesus asked you to be on their team and fight their battle, and you had to pick one. We'd all have to choose God and Jesus. You'd have to. And good news, here we are. Now suffer. Now, of course, we don't suffer for suffering's sake, right? What good is that? We're not martyrs like that. We suffer to glorify Jesus. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul, right? He lists through all the things he's done, or he's been a victim to. Prison, five times, been, been lashed by the, the Jews three times beaten with rods, pelted with stones, shipwrecked, spent a night and a day in the open sea, constantly on the move, danger at sea, in the country, in the city. He's labored and toiled, gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. But during his conversion, the Lord said to Ananias, you remember, go, this man is a chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, and to the kings, and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer in my name. And then he did. Second Corinthians, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Why suffer? And I'm almost done here. It goes on in second Corinthians. This light momentary affliction, which Paul just went through, right? This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So maybe if you join the Navy SEALs and you win a battle, ah, you get a medal or something. Cool. it little rust, whatever. This is a weight of glory beyond all comparison. So there's something in uh, literary circles called the hero's journey. Is anyone familiar with this? The hero's journey. So if you want to write a great story, you just use this outline. So Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, like you name it. Like every great story has the same Lord of the Rings. Like it's the same story. Hero receives a call for adventure. So as I'm reading these, like think about your favorite movie and how it fits into it. They all do. Hero receives a call to adventure. He leaves his original life, receives supernatural aid, the force, wizard powers, right? Gathers allies for his quest. Chewbacca, and all right, faces trials and challenges, undergoes a physical ordeal, dies a physical or spiritual death, undergoes a transformation, shares the reward and wisdom that he's gained with others, overcomes the evil, and gains greater freedom. That's how it works. Every story, every great story. That's your story. (laughs) That's your salvation story, isn't it? You became a Christian. That's the adventure. You left your old life. You gained the Holy Spirit. That's supernatural aid. You joined a church. That's your band of brothers. You faced trials. You underwent a transformation. That's the baptism. You share your wisdom with others. That's what we're all called to do. And in the end, you gain, greater, you gain greater freedom. Heaven. I want that for Jack, but you can't do it without trials. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, I quite agree that the Christian religion is in the long run a thing of unspeakable comfort. But it does not begin in comfort. In religion, as in war and everything else, comfort is the one thing you cannot get by looking for it. If you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will get neither comfort or truth. Only soft soap or Warm wet naps. (laughs) And wishful thinking to begin with, and in the end, despair. Don't look for comfort, look for truth. So I pray that Jack faces and overcomes many trials, because these are gifts from God. Truly, they're gifts. Philippians 1.29, this is mind-boggling to me. This is my last scripture, I think. I'm almost done here. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So the Greek word here for gifted, for granted, it's not, it's didomi is the word that's like, uh, it's to give basically a bad thing. Like I'm going to give you a punch in the nose, right? Like, like that's bad. This is the Greek word that means to give in kindness, to give graciously, um, to give forgiveness would be this, this word as well. So God has graciously given us two gifts, faith and suffering. How different from the world, right? How different? Parents in America are praying for their children to live a life of comfort and ease. And I pray that my son lives a life of suffering for Christ. Why? Because it's right in the good book. I lied. This is my last scripture. Romans 5 we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. I really appreciate you guys being here. I know I threw a lot at you. Um, And I know you've been taking in a lot of stuff all weekend. Here's my takeaway, if nothing else. Um, Let's just go backwards. We all want to have hope, right? How do we get that? By being men of character. How do we be men of character? By persevering. How do we persevere? We need something to persevere through. We need suffering. How do we do all this? And who do we do it for? Jesus. Let's be courageous throughout it all. Thank you guys. Yeah. I actually have, uh, I have two more minutes before I got to go to commercial break. Is that cool? Two more minutes. I know you guys are probably like, all right, let's get out of here. I got two minutes and then we can actually like technically pull this off and like time-wise pull this off. That would be amazing. Uh, last point. Um, my relationship with God has grown in nine days because I, I get it more. Like, I'm Jack's dad, and God is my dad. Right? Like, that, like, I was talking to a guy who has kids, and he explained that to me before I had kids, and I didn't, but, like, I totally get it. I totally get it. And, like, more than anything, I just want to be with my son. I want to love on him. I want to roll around with him. I want to laugh with him. I want to cry with him. I want to pour my life into him. I want to pour my heart into him. And and the flip side, more than anything, I want him to be with me. I want him to want to be with me. And I'm sure dads here who have older kids, 12, 13, whatever, have had that moment when it's like, whatever, dad. Right? Like, I'm ashamed of you. I don't want to be with you or whatever. That's painful. And I think of God, he does the same thing to me. Right? He wants to pour his love out on me. He wants to discipline me. He wants to properly train me. He wants to laugh with me and cry with me. And just my whole life, and even after becoming a disciple, like so often I tell him I don't need you. Even my actions. I don't need you. I don't have time for you. I got to show prep. I got to go to work. I got to do this. I got to do that. I don't have time for you, dad. You're last on my mind. You're last in my heart. I'll call you when I need something. That's how I'm treating my dad. So we're in a war. Before we got, uh, my wife got pregnant, we were talking about it and she's a warrior. And she said, do we really want to bring a kid into this crazy world? And I said, yes, the world needs our son. I hope. So I pray that Jack is a great warrior and I pray the same for you men here as well. You guys are awesome. Thanks for having me.
1: Okay. All right, hey guys. Here's what uh, you guys know. What's, next. what's up next? We got workshops. There's five of them. They start at um, two o'clock, so you have seven minutes to make your way over there. Um, same thing to the two rooms over there.
3: Mike Slater from the Blaze Radio Network. A hundred years ago, there was a doctor with no medical training. And there was a wealthy woman in town who had cancer. And every week for 20 years, she would go and see this doctor. She was so grateful for him. Paid him a lot of money. That doctor sent his son to college and medical school on that money. And the son, a couple years later, came back and actually met with that cancer-stricken woman. And he said to her, Oh, you don't have cancer. Here, take this. You'll be better in a week. The dad was outraged. He said, son, I put you through college and medical school on that cancer. You can't go on practicing medicine like this. The question is, are there politicians today who don't really want the patient to get well? Hey, I'm Mike Slater from the Blaze Radio Network. Jenny's dad passed away 10 years ago. He was only 23, killed in a robbery. The family decided to donate his organs. Jenny's dad's heart went to Arthur Thomas, who's been waiting for a heart for 10 years. Doctors said he would have died in a few days if he hadn't gotten one. For the next few years, the families exchanged letters and Christmas cards, but they never met in person until Jenny's wedding day. Her dad wasn't there to walk her down the aisle, but the family reached out to Arthur and asked if he would do the honors. Jenny said, meeting Arthur was so incredible. He's such a gracious and kind-hearted man. You could tell he was so thankful for his life, and that radiated from him. He said, it was truly the best day of my life. To be able to bring my dad home and have him at my wedding, it's an absolute dream come true.
4: You're listening to Mike Slater,
1: part of the next generation of talk radio on
4: the Blaze Radio Network.
1: And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network.
3: That's Leonard presenters. America's the greatest country in the world. Well, there you go. The timing of that could not have been better. Um, sorry for the five-minute chunk that we had to take out, though. For Got to pay the bills, um, but I think you got most of it. Uh, if you are just tuning in, I'm here at a uh, men's conference, Christian men's conference at a church here in San Diego. and. They wanted me to be the speaker this afternoon and it happened to be right in the middle of the show and I said well let's let's kill two birds with one stone here so uh, the message was about uh, my son who is nine days old today and uh, how, I, how how I want what I'm praying for about my son so if you just missed it uh, you can check you can check out the whole thing at the blaze.com the blaze blaze.com slash radio the the blaze.com slash radio um, so yeah, nine days old. Steph's doing awesome. She's such a good mom. Uh, I shared the full story of, of the, the birth story earlier as if anyone really cares, but uh, let me, let me, I want to share one aspect of being in the hospital that maybe you can relate to. So a couple months ago, a local pro-life pregnancy center called me. So a pro-life pregnancy center, there's one in your town, probably, probably a couple, they're the opposite of Planned Parenthood. So where Planned Parenthood, where a woman walks into a Planned Parenthood and says, I don't know what to do. I'm pregnant. I don't know what's up and I don't know what to do next. And the, and Planned Parenthood will say, well, let's kill it. Uh, if you go into a pro-life pregnancy center, they will talk to you about all your options, abortion, they'll love you through the process. Um, you know, work with you through the, through the, through the uh, pregnancy, through the labor, after the baby is born. They'll help you in different ways, which I'll get to in a second. But uh, they're wonderful places that need to be supported. Because it's, it's one thing to say, shut down Planned Parenthood, but replace it with what? Well, these. <laughs> so anyway, they called me up because they wanted me to MC their big fundraiser for the year. And I said, yes, of course, I'll do it. But uh, an asterisk, because that happens to be one week after my wife's due date. So we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I may not be able to make it. So yes, but you should get a backup. So the event was Friday night. And Jack was born uh, a a week late (laughs) Thursday night. So Thursday night, Jack is born, 738. And we were sleeping that night in the hospital. And Steph and I talked about if I should go to the event or not. And she decided that this is important to her that this supporting this pro-life pregnancy center is important because here's the truth. Steph and I have family here with us. We have uh, a church bringing us a dinner. We have enough money for me to have taken a few days off work. We have enough money to buy things that the baby might need. We have the knowledge of the power of prayer. We have all these blessings. And there's a lot of women who don't have any of these things. They have a boyfriend who's telling them to get an abortion. They have a family who, at least they think, is ashamed of them because of the pregnancy. There's women who don't have a job or one that can accommodate them don't have money for new things let alone diapers and necessities and that's what these pro-life pregnancy centers do they provide all of these things and they give girls and women most importantly hope and I thought about this the first night we were all alone Steph's in the hospital bed I'm laying in the fold-out bed and in between us is um, is Jack and he's, he's in the um, what do they call it I always forget the word the box the uh, uh, not the crib it's like a little What do you call it? It's like a funny Frenchish word, whatever. And he's sleeping in his little bed uh, between us. And I looked over and and I could see through the the crib he was sleeping in. And I could see my wife on the other side. And I just thought about how fortunate we are that we have a, a massive support group behind us, huge. And I thought about what it would be like for a woman to go through this process. I mean, first of all, the pain of the labor, but then also the unknown of what's next. Like, I'm excited for what's next. But there's a lot of women who go through this and and they're terrified. I don't know what it'd be like to go through this without a supportive husband or family or church or job. I I can't imagine how scary that would be. So I was the MC of the dinner. Um, Abby Johnson was the main speaker. So I I mentioned her an hour or so ago. She ran one of the largest Planned Parenthoods in the country, in Houston. And she earned Planned Parenthood Employee of the Year for selling the most abortions. And that's what she was. She was a salesperson. That's what she says. I wasn't a doctor. I have no medical training. Um, I'm a salesperson. I can't share her entire testimony, but one day she was talking to a doctor who performed abortions with a sonogram. And they do that so that the, the doctor can see exactly where he's killing the baby before scraping the baby's body parts out of the woman. And he said he does that because it's safer for the woman. So she goes back to her Planned Parenthood that she runs and says, hey, if this is safer for women, why don't we use abortions using a sonogram? And they told her that we don't do that because it takes three minutes longer. And time is money. We got to get the woman on the table, kill the baby and off the table in five minutes or less. So we got to keep moving. And the more time she, stands, she, she lays on the table, uh, the, the, the bigger the chance that she changes her mind. And if we have a sonogram, there's a slight chance that she may see the baby inside of her. We can't have that. So Abby, when she was working at Planned Parenthood, she went to go see the sonogram abortion, and she saw the knife go into the woman's womb. She saw it poke the side of the baby. She saw the baby squirm to get away from it, but obviously there's nowhere to go. And she saw the doctor rip the baby apart and stick a vacuum up there, and he actually said, Beam me up, Scotty. And sucked out all the baby's parts. That was it for her. I think she worked at Planned Parenthood for eight years. Sold hundreds of thousands of abortions. But that was it. She saw the light. And now she tours the country telling the truth about Planned Parenthood. I share the story because everyone knows it's a baby. Everyone. And that's what she said. She said, let's be real. Everyone knows it's a baby. She said in all of her years of Planned Parenthood, no one ever called it anything other than a baby. Every woman who walked in called it a baby. Everyone knows it's a baby. And she said the number one question that the woman would ask her is if the baby, my baby, will feel any pain during the abortion. And the line that Planned Parenthood came up with was, no, of course not. Babies don't feel pain until 26 weeks, which is total nonsense. And everyone knows it. She knew it. The mom knew it. She literally said that hundreds of thousands of times. And every single mom knew it. it was a lie. But it was what the mom wanted to hear to ease her pain. Everyone knows it's a baby. But a lot of women get the abortion because there's no, they don't have hope. Because they don't have the support staff. They don't see a way, but the pro-life centers around your neighborhood help women throughout the entire process. They show them the way they help them through the pregnancy, through the labor, through the delivery and life after, please, please support your local local pro-life pregnancy center. If we're not protecting a baby's life, what are we doing? What are we doing? So the the pregnancy center I'm, I'm talking about, the one that we I worked with, uh, 30 to $31 a month keeps the center open for a day. Right, So it ends up being $300 something a year, uh, keeps the center open for one day, and you get to pick a day. So my day is October 13th in honor of Jack. That's the day that I'm keeping the center open in honor of Jack and in support of all the babies who deserve all the opportunities that Jack has. There's one near you. I encourage you to find him, help him out. 1-888-900-3393. we will get to the debate coming up next. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
4: You're listening to Mike Slater on The Blaze Radio Network.
1: later on the blaze radio network
3: so quick note on the debate the my big takeaway was the amount of media coordination it it even took me by surprise so we watched the 90 minute debate with by the way best moderator by far and it just goes to show you how much of a difference a moderator can make and what a good moderator does because every moderator for the last couple elections have been terrible right terrible and and no one has seen what a good moderator would do or could do, and Chris Wallace did a fantastic job, and that's all we're asking of them. It's not that hard. Um, anyway, where was I going? This is this is part of the dad brain. Oh yeah, so we watched. We had a debate viewing party at my local studio. There were sixty people, so we watched the whole thing, and we had a it was like an hour afterwards where we all talked and did a little focus group. No one, no one even. Mentioned this moment, it wasn't. We didn't flinch. So we had a tivo when we were watching it. So we do stop and go, and you know, stop at a moment and then talk about it. And no one. We didn't even pause it after Trump had said this. We didn't flinch. We didn't. No one. No one even noticed it. And it wasn't until after when we I looked at the New York Times and the Washington Post and all these and the the whole thing, like every major newspaper, was about Trump saying he wasn't sure if he'd. Approve of the election results or wh- whatever, right? You know what I'm talking about. And I'm thinking, no one thought that that was noteworthy, let alone the the story, like the only thing that matters. <laughs> right? so, so Trump did, I'm not going to play the clip here, you've heard it a million times, but Trump says this, and then Hillary goes, oh, it's horrifying. <laughs> horrifying? What's horrifying? It's the craziest thing. Like, the left is taking it as if, Trump was making a declaration for a violent revolution. If he loses like a call to arms, right? If he loses, he won't concede. Well, okay. And then what? Right. Trump, Trump supporters. were going to get our guns and show up at the Capitol and overthrow Obama and, and put the rightful King in office. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, what do they think? They think we're going to invade the white house, Trump supporters be- and put our King in power. Well, that's what they're making it like. Oh, he won't accept the results. That's insane. Let me be as clear as possible about about what Trump did and why he did it. Trump is a businessman and a negotiator. He has a knee jerk reaction. He is wired over decades of being a businessman, of always keeping his options open. Do you remember the very first question at the very first primary debate? Do you remember the opening question of the whole thing? Will you support the eventual nominee? For the Republican Party. And every single person, 16 people raised their hands, except for Donald Trump. Why? He's just wired to not commit on stuff like that. Because in business, you never know what's going to happen. And you don't want to put yourself, you don't want anyone to be like, oh, well, you said, right? So he just keeps the options open when it comes to things like this. No way was there a if I lose, I'm going to lead a violent overthrow. <laughs> That's what they're making it seem. That's what they're making it. Because, you know, after he said this, he said, oh, my gosh, look how the media piled up these last few months. I've never seen anything like it. That's what he's talking about. That's what he means by rigged election. It's not necessarily stuffing the ballot, which, by the way, is such an old concept that the term is actually stuffing the ballot. As in like paper ballots in a box. Okay, right? So this is not a new concept either. Stealing elections, adding votes, taking away votes. Like This is not a new concept. Trump didn't invent it. So all he said was, I'm just not going to accept the election results until it's all certified. That's it. Once it's certified. I mean, listen, if it's election night and the media declares that Hillary won and not all the votes are counted in Florida, then no, I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to concede that. No, we're not going to, we're going to wait until it's done. Like what the heck? Oh, and by the way, 72% of Americans said they're very or somewhat concerned about the security of the voting system in America. 72%. So like, it's not even that totally out of bounds. Now, Let's show a little precedent here. Let's go in the way, way back machine to ancient history, uh, the year 2000. This is Al Gore. He just walked out of the White House, and he's talking to reporters after he uh, lost the election, but it wasn't certified yet. Clip 1148.
8: There were more than enough votes to make the difference that were apparently thrown into the the applications for ballots uh, were thrown into the trash can by the supervisor of elections there. Apparently, uh, even though they were missing the the same number that uh, the the Republican Party workers were allowed to come in and uh, and, and fix uh, the other applications with. So uh, I don't want to speculate on what remedy might be. I'm not a party to that to that case or the Martin County case, but but uh, more than enough votes were potentially uh, taken away from Democrats because they were not uh, given the same access uh, that Republicans were. Remember, the uh, according to what's come out in that case. Again, I'm not a party to it, but I've read about it, and apparently the Democratic Party chair was denied the opportunity to even look at the list of applications whereas the republican party workers were allowed to roam around unsupervised uh, inside the office and bring their computers in and and, uh, and fix uh, all of the ballot applications for one side even as the democrats were denied an opportunity to come in denied an, a chance to even look at the applications and those applications We're were thrown out. That doesn't seem fair to me. And uh, apparently in Martin County, they were able to go in and take all the applications home with them. So, uh, you know, that's. uh, Mm. Wow,
3: horrific, horrific, horrifying. How dare he say that? You know, Al, our country's been around for 240 years. How dare you question the integrity of a peaceful transition of power? That's all this is. Again, media coordination, unprecedented. They needed to find one thing from that 90 minutes that could possibly be used to make Trump sound scary and dangerous. Meanwhile, the American people on their own didn't even think it was a thing. So so I really like the Frank Luntz focus groups. I think they're good. Um, they serve its purpose, right? I would be really fascinated. And actually, I know this is true, so I don't, even, I don't have to do this hypothetically. His his focus group, I think Fourteen people said Trump won. Twelve people said Hillary won. So basically a tie, whatever. None of the people in his focus group commented on that. Why? Because they hadn't yet heard what the media thought. Now, you take those, whatever, 30 people in the room, because some were t- thought it was a tie. So you take 30 people in his Franklin's focus group. And uh, if you said, hey, what were the, the 10 most important moments, the 10 most influential and uh, maybe go ahead and write a headline for this debate. Go ahead, write a headline based on what you thought the story was about this debate. Not a single person on their list of 10 most important things, let alone the headline of the day, would write about Trump saying you wouldn't accept the election results, whatever. Not a single person. But as soon as they walk out in, into the ether, then then they, the, the, the real world, then all they just get inundated with with the media, the TV news, and all the headlines saying that this is what the debate was all about. What a shame. This is the New York Post said it is, the, uh, it is a shocking and cravenly irresponsible thing to say. It threatens to rend our national fabric and for that alone, Trump has earned his place in the history of American disgrace. What the heck? Keep this in mind. The election in 2000 was November 7th. Gore conceded December 13th. And I guarantee you when Trump wins, you will have violence from Hillary supporters. There will be violence saying the election was rigged and stolen and Russia was involved and it's not legitimate. I guarantee it. Remember this moment. Remember this moment because in whatever, 16 days, 17 days, it will absolutely 100% be flipped. Hillary and her supporters and her team will be saying that it is an illegitimate election It was rigged. It was stolen. The Russians hacked it. He's not. And and listen, there's no way she could concede. Think about this. If the left and Hillary really thinks that Trump is so dangerous, so dangerous that he can't even get his fingers near the nuclear codes. It was it is it is horrifying. He's the next Hitler. She can't concede. She can't concede if he's really Hitler. So, when he wins, you're going to hear the same thing flipped around back at her. Mike Slater show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the. Mike Slater. Slater, let's go to Daniel in uh, Arkansas. What's going on, Daniel? Hey,
5: what's going on, Mr. Slater?
3: Good, brother. Appreciate you calling in, man. What's on your mind? Uh, First
5: of all, I would like to say a big congratulations to you and Miss Stephanie for your. Newborn baby boy Jack.
3: That's wonderful. I appreciate that. So I'll pass it on, and I will pass it on in your southern accent because my wife misses her hometown of Tennessee very much. So uh, (laughs) she would appreciate it hearing you say Say it it more than me. All right.
5: So uh, talking about the elections and all of that, I've seen the various videos, and I believe that HRC's campaign did have something to do with trying to implement some major. Voter fraud, but my biggest question comes from Title 18, Section 2071. As I understand it, Hillary Clinton is actually disqualified for running for any government office. So, if by some chance she did win, could the U.S. government actually be sued to take that title away from her and given? To Donald Trump, since he would be
3: the runner-up. Yeah, really good question, Daniel. I appreciate the call, man. Thank you. Let me uh, let me Take do the care, best man. I can. Yeah, thanks, ma'am. Let me do the best I can answer that. So, um, I'm reading from this law. All right, whoever willfully and unlawfully conceals, removes, mutilates, obliterates—it's uh, it's actually obliterates or destroys or attempts to do so. Uh, with intent to do so, takes and carries away any record preceding map book, paper document or other thing, shall be fined under this, imprisoned, and shall forfeit his office and be disqualified from holding any office under the United States. Um, Yeah, okay, so here's the deal, Daniel. Uh, <laughs> when Hillary becomes president, if, I still think Trump will win, by the way, but if Hillary becomes president, there will be nothing Holding her back. What's going to hold her back from doing anything? The law? U.S. Code 2071? Please. That's not holding her back now. She's not even in power. She's nothing right now. She's a private citizen. She's not Secretary of State. She's not First Lady anymore. She's nothing. She's a private citizen just like you, Daniel. And the law doesn't apply to her now. So imagine when she's President of the United States. Nothing will hold her back. Nothing will rein her in. Nothing will stop her. The FBI? The FBI can't stop her now. Now, Donald Trump, if you remember the second debate, the big headline was when Donald Trump said, uh, you know, if I'm president, then I will uh, appoint a a special prosecutor or whatever. Now, the media took that as, oh my gosh, he's going to lock her up in jail. No, Said I'm going to appoint a special prosecutor. We'll see what's going on. We'll get to the bottom of it for real. Now, the media freaked out, but that's nothing new. When I interviewed Donald Trump for 90 minutes in his um, in Trump Tower back in December, he told me the same thing. He told me the exact same thing. He said we're going to appoint a special prosecutor and we're going to uh, see what's going on because that's the law. And I remember at the end of it, I said, "What would her, what would the, what would your punishment punishment be for her?" And he said, "Whatever the law says." So he wasn't. I'm going to throw you in jail, lock away the key forever, and off with your head. He's like, "Well, whatever the law says, I don't know." But he wanted to uphold the law. The law doesn't exist right now at all because if it if someone's above it, then it just doesn't exist. And then once she's president, there's no, it's a it's game on, right? Or game off, I guess. So, Daniel, there's your super depressing answer. Uh, but yes, you are right. I mean, by, by every objective standard, she is in violation of uh, Title 18, 2071. But uh, pff, what law? Now, let me chat about, is that, I, know, I know that's not satisfactory at all, Daniel. <laughs> but yes, you are right. But no, nothing will happen. One last thing on this rigged part. It will be rigged. I don't know if we're, can we just all be, can we be straight with one another? So this is Scott Adams. He said, whenever humans have motive, opportunity, a high upside gain, and low odds of detection, shenanigans happen 100% of the time. Our vote counting system has plenty of weak spots. Rigging, to some degree, is a near guarantee. And keep in mind that Team Clinton has framed Trump as the next Hitler and that gives every citizen moral cover to do outrageous things to stop him the stakes are sky high so what does that rigging look like i don't know and, and will it make a difference in the final outcome probably not depends what happens but don't i got i'm so sick of this all like oh, what rig like eat, like votes cast that aren't really a, like give me a break the democrats are masters of that and always have been And you know, reporters and journalists, they feel that they have a moral obligation to stop Trump. They've said it out loud. They say this isn't, they're not reporting on a candidate that they disagree with. This is truly stopping the next Hitler. And if you feel that's true, then you will go to extreme lengths to stop him, unethical lengths to stop him. I don't know, maybe like giving the next debate question to the candidate that you think will beat that person (laughs) in order to make them look good and look better. Now, real quick, side note to that. Before you go thinking that, They really think that Trump is Hitler? They don't. No one in the media really thinks he's Hitler. This is really important. The media thought Romney was Hitler. Do you remember all the accusations they made against Romney? Romney was a stinking altar boy. The guy's squeaky clean. And they made him out to be a gaff machine, evil, racist, going to put you all back in chains, homophobic, bigot. Remember the big story about Romney? The big dirt that they got on Romney? big front page article in New York Times was that in high school, some of his friends pinned down a kid who may or may not have been gay and Romney cut his hair. That was it. Bull The bully Mitt Romney had to go back to high school. <laughs> and then they uh, talked about the story about how he drove with his dog in a crate on top of the car. So, he, so he's an animal abuser. And uh, one of his, you know, Bain Capital bought a company. They fired some people. Guy lost his insurance. Woman died of breast cancer. So he's a wife murderer. Okay. They made Mitt Romney to be Hitler. McCain was Hitler. Every Republican candidate is Hitler. Now, here's the best part. In four years from now, the media will be talking about how the next guy is Hitler. Let's say Mike Pence. Okay. Let's say Mike Pence runs in four years. Mike Pence will be Hitler. And Donald Trump is the old standard-bearer of moderate Republican values. like Donald Trump, in four years from now, Donald Trump to the media will be the sensible old Republican party that if only we could get back to, then it wouldn't be so dangerous as it is today. I guarantee you, four years from now, if Trump loses four years from now, they're going to say, oh, Republicans... Why don't you elect someone like Donald Trump? Donald Trump was a moderate. He wanted to close tax loopholes. He um, wanted to expand the entitlement state. He wanted to have government-paid maternity leave. Right, and they'll go down. They'll go down all these moderate e positions, and say that he was the old standard bearer of Republican virtues, and now this new guy is Hitler. Every four years, the exact same thing. Stop falling for it. They don't really think he's Hitler. Maybe a businessman runs in four years and the businessman doesn't hire that many women in his business and they'll go back and they'll say, "Oh, listen, Donald Trump hired women. Had a bunch of women running executives, uh, different, different companies he had as executives. And, and this new businessman, no women executives. The media will come and learn to love Donald Trump. It'll just be four years from now. Now, one last thing on rigging, and I sort of mentioned this in the last segment. I want to slow this down for just a minute. Really remember this moment. Remember the fake outrage from the left about what Trump said about accepting the results. Remember it. Because when Trump wins, all you're going to hear about is how the election was rigged and how he cheated and how Hillary not only shouldn't concede to the dictator, but she morally can't. She has a moral obligation to not concede to this Hitler-esque monster. Because we can't let him get anywhere near the nuclear codes. And world leaders are going to come out and say, no, we can't have him be president. And how could she concede? All she's done is call him dangerous. And she's going to concede to him? No. Her supporters are going to do everything they can to make sure that there's no peaceful transfer of power if Donald Trump wins. So remember this moment now. Because the whole thing's going to be flipped on its head in 16 days. When I was, uh, when Steph was giving birth and we were in the hospital and I wasn't paying attention to the news, I missed the story of the North Carolina GOP headquarters being firebombed. And I don't even know if they know who did it. And that's sort of my point. The media stopped following it completely. I don't know if they even know. But CNN blamed Trump for the, for the Republican headquarters being firebombed. What? You know that if the DNC headquarters, if the Democratic headquarters were bombed, the president would be talking about it. It would be the only thing you've been hearing about, and it would, it would, we'd all be lectured about our tone and Donald Trump, and he's ushered in a new era of violence and blah, 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 blah. And look, his crazy supporters firebombed Democrats' headquarters. People could have died. He's a killer, a murderer. Awesome. And now we know that Hillary's people pay homeless people to cause fights at Trump rallies. But you're the violent one. Amazing. So just remember this. This is going to come back again in 16 days when Trump wins, and all you're going to hear about is how Russia stole the election. one 888 Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
4: You're listening to
1: Mike Slater.
4: On The Blaze Radio Network.
1: Nine hundred thirty-three ninety-three.
3: Mike Slater is on. Hey Flip, is it Robert in Florida who's on the uh, the horn right now? Yeah, let's go to Robert. What's going on, Robert? How are you, man? Hey Mike, thanks for taking my call. It's going good. Um, I
6: you know you're the I I just feel like you know you're talking about the rigged election I already. I mean I know it's already rigged, and 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 the the liberal uh, the liberals will do anything they can to steal the election from Trump. Uh, I feel like you do. I feel like Trump's going to win it by a landslide. Um, but there's already I mean, there's people on the post office that are posting pictures on Facebook where they're throwing Trump's ballots away like they're proud of it. So, I mean, if they, if somebody voted for Trump, they mailed in a ballot, they probably, you know, their vote's not going to get counted. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's it's going to create a, a firestorm. Uh, when Trump wins uh, with uh, Obama and the Clinton and the liberal media, and their, yep. it's it, it's it's not going to be a pretty sight. Our country's no. fixing the to go through a, a you know a growing pain really. Mm. Uh, to the, the people are speaking. I mean, I I've been on uh, the Trump train since the very beginning, uh, partially because he's not bought off by. By special interests or big corporations or anything like that. He's paid his own way to get there. So yep. I know when he gets there, he doesn't owe anybody anything. That's the problem with our country today is that these politicians take all this money. And when they get there, they got to, they got to do favors for the people they took money from. Yep. And Absolutely. Clinton's got her money.
3: <laughs> Why totally Robert, man, I appreciate the call. Great stuff, man. Let, let me comment on this. I got two more minutes and it's really good, Robert. Here's the deal. Um, on the money thing, it's, it's funny. I think in the end of all this, right, it's been going on for a year and a half. Everyone who votes for Trump will pretty much go back, or at least most of the people who are kind of on the fence and moderate, will go back to the real reasons that people were excited for him to run in the first place. Businessman, business experience, change, not tied to anyone, says it like it is. like It's all those things. All the rest of this last like year or so has just been noise that most people in the end, when they get in the voting booth, won't pay attention to, won't even remember, and they're just going to vote for him. I still think he'll win. And I think you're right, Robert, when he wins, it's going to be a huge problem because the Democrats are going to flip out. They're the ones who are going to be violent and they're the ones who are going to cause major problems. No doubt about it. It won't be the Republicans doing it. It will be the Democrats because they'll be so outraged. Now, they, there will be rigging. There will be ballot stealing and stuffing and all that stuff that's happened forever. Here's the difference. this go around. People who did it before or who might have done it before in the past would stop because they say, this is wrong. They know it's wrong. But now, because Trump is dangerous, evil, Hitler. Now people have moral cover to do it, right? They have almost a moral obligation to prevent him from winning. The definition of rigged, uh, look it up, Uh, dictionary.com. Something that is fixed in a dishonest way to guarantee a desired outcome. That's it. Now that could be on voting day, or it could be what Donna Brazil did, who's now the head of the DNC. She was on Megan Kelly the other day. We don't have time to play the clip. Um, but the point of it is, she sent an email to the Clinton campaign verbatim, the question that was asked to Hillary at a CNN debate. And Megan Kelly tried to get her to ask about it, and Megyn, and, and Me- Donna Brazil does this, "Oh, as a Christian woman, uh, I feel I'm being persecuted." Like, what are you talking?" Right? Her answers were pathetic. And no reporter should ever talk to Donna Brazil until she answers this question. And you just say, listen, Donna, I know these emails were illegally obtained through WikiLeaks. We're putting that aside for now. Okay, that's a shame. That stinks. Sorry about that. But here's the truth of what happened. Address this or else we're not going to move on with any other questions. Here's the thing. Here's the analogy. Imagine your neighbor catches you cheating on your wife in your home. And your wife comes home and says, honey, the neighbor says you're cheating on me with another woman. And your response is, honey, the important thing here is that we have snooping neighbors. Okay, we have snooping neighbors. The neighbors are too nosy. We got to get a higher fence. No woman will go for that. But for whatever reason, the left can say, well, listen, about the WikiLeaks emails, you know, Russia is the problem here. Uh, big problem with Russia. You know, they're snooping and they're trying to rig the blah blah blah." blah. Don't let them get away with that. Theblaze.com slash radio. The second hour of the show uh, was a speech that I just gave downstairs uh, at this uh, men's conference here in San Diego. So it's an hour long straight speech about my new son, who's now nine days old, who I'm going back to right now. You can Check out the speech. Theblaze.com slash radio. We'll see you next Saturday. Mike
4: Slater Show, spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater,
1: part of the next generation of talk radio on
4: the Blaze Radio Network.